0: Hello, hello, I'm Sarah. And I'm Joanna. And we are your therapists next door.
1: Join us as we demystify therapy and destigmatize mental health.
0: Every episode, we interview a healthcare professional. It's sometimes serious, sometimes sad, most times ridiculous.
1: This week, we welcome Julia Schutke, who is an Associate Licensed Mental Health Therapist. <music>
0: Welcome everyone to Therapist Next Door, the podcast that shows you the human side of your friendly neighborhood healthcare worker. We do this by interviewing someone in a helping profession, asking questions that you want the answers to, and answering questions you didn't know you had.
1: I'm Joanna, a board-certified music therapist and a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm a white, straight, cisgendered female, and my pronouns are she, hers. And how many cardigans is too many? Because I think I've reached the limit.
0: Yeah. I'm gonna quote Rugrats and say, if you have to ask, you'll never know. Mm. Okay. <laughs> That's Angelica from the Rugrats. Thank
1: you.
0: And I'm Sarah, an LPC from Pennsylvania, transplant from South Jersey. I am a cishet white woman. My pronouns are she, her, and I. Uh, my before married last name rhymed with frisky and chaos ensued interesting and continues to <laughs>
1: uh didn't they totally butcher your name during our
0: graduation ceremony oh i'm so glad you asked <laughs> so like most it, it's so great what they do for graduations now and maybe they did this in I, my high school had 400 people in it with 100 graduating class so it was very small everyone knew what everyone's name was but when you gra- when we graduated from drexel in 2015 they asked the phonetic pronunciation of your name. So I would put, you know, how you pronounce Sarah and then brisky. Very, very, you know, I thought it was straightforward. Yeah. And then I, as I got up on the stage, they, hand, they handed the diploma to Sharon brisky. <laughs> and it wasn't even me. They called that to the person head of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry.
1: I, and like, I... my name is so full of pitfalls you know it's got a silent letter in it I've got a strange last name but I yeah
0: you were before me I think um well and I think we all everyone in our cohort then (laughs) left
1: we all we were sitting in the front row
0: and we we escaped we We just I I texted my mom like (laughs) I'm leaving My future in-laws were there and my parents and I said I'm gonna be in the back, so sneak out. There's like thousands of people in this massive auditorium. Yeah, I felt like I was leaving church early, which activated something for me.
1: We had to leave like we, you know, it was like everyone was kind of sitting in like rectangle formulation. We were in the front and we just like climbed over chairs and went through the front through these doors. We did have to
0: move a chair. Like I think we couldn't leave yeah. until people in front of us left, or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's what you get.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was a concerted effort because like it was so it was so big, and we were like, I got the diploma, I'm good. My parents saw it. Let's let's leave.
0: Yeah, I felt very uh, unrepresented. Like the person who was speaking, I remember they were from a background that I was. I wasn't, I wasn't jazzed to be spoken to by them. So I I was like, this is not for me. This is for someone named Sharon. I got to (laughs) go. It's very expensive. Thank you. Thank you for my $150 gown. I think I still have that. Or maybe I I just got rid of it.
1: Because it has these really cool like (laughs) cloth. It's not a regular gown. It's like the sleeves have these like I don't even know what they're called. I guess like when you
0: graduate from graduate school, you get like a cooler robe and like the hood. Oh, yeah, is- we look like we look like the Fire Nation from uh, yeah. Avatar. I think I've the got a good picture shorts. of
1: me like cr- creeping up on <laughs> yeah. my husband. Uh, so I'll we'll we'll have to put that on this episode.
0: That's a good um, idea. Yeah. Because oh, it was man, ridiculous. Was. <laughs> yeah. We Joanna, you and I had a long day that day because I believe we also. If you did, you, we go to the same after party after dinner. Maybe I don't know. I don't. Maybe remember. <laughs> another place that I left early. <laughs> <laughs> after I got there. <laughs> Anywho, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm a big um, fan of leaving places early. So yeah, Joanna. I don't know last name. I mean, we can call our last names weird, but I think everybody. I think they're just weird because last names are not like first names they're not all floating around by the dozen i, I know yeah. plenty of sarahs there yeah, are a I, and sarah that was what they messed America. up
1: yeah they messed up the sarah part of your name which is I
0: people have had a very difficult time pronouncing my name throughout the years and i've been pretty confused by it only because it's a very represented like it's a very like white english name it's represented yeah. <laughs> i like i yeah
1: I mean, I get people oh. calling me by the wrong name all the time. Um, Joanna is a is a weird one. Um, it, it's just like okay, I guess that's right. I guess you got most of it right. I don't, I don't know. I had a couple of teachers call me that. I mean, Johanna is the one that gets said all the time because of that
0: signage. Yeah. but well, I love the autonomy that you get as far as like your name pronunciation because people can say Sarah and I get all like, well, no. I- make the make the first a longer but I I like that you can do that with your first name everybody has that opportunity to be like no that's not how I pronounce it yeah (laughs) yeah
1: yeah I end up just not not correcting people anymore just like you can you know what say whatever you want to say it's like a Mm -hmm. fantasy world for you with my name right now (laughs) Um, beautiful I I just do want to say I have upwards of 20 cardigans I don't know if that's too many cardigans Okay, we're getting a nod that that is too many cardigans.
0: I I think you're, I mean, dude, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like if you said 50, I would be like, Joanna, okay, you know, I wouldn't say it's too much. But I did reach a point where I just started folding my sweaters instead of hanging them so I could actually room in my closet. (laughs) Maybe I have too many sweaters.
1: We just just like redid our closets. So that's why I was Uh like, wow, look how many I have. Because like before it was all smushed together and you're like, I guess I'll just wear the mm-hmm. same one that I like, you know? And like, I know there's some in the wash and there were 16 yeah. in there and I got rid of three. So like, there's a lot of cardigans. Well, when
0: you take an inventory on something, it always seems like a lot.
1: Yeah. Next I got to go through my like dresses. I don't need them anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Usually
1: so it smells
0: like um homemade candles in my office right now because tis the season and I nice my husband like won't allow them anywhere else because too much. <laughs> they're all in my office. it's exciting no he's not in charge of where the candles go but I'm just trying to be kind and shit okay. I would because space.
1: of my super pregnancy <laughs> smelling sense I mm-hmm. could probably smell them from here if I yeah, try yeah yeah,
0: yeah yeah i overdid it with the rose and that's not the best scent in the world to overdo it with
1: oh no i made some really good cookies that were like um pistachio and rose water and they had like rose petals in them they were very very good
0: they sound really good and beautiful also like beautiful cookies
1: they were beautiful cookies i think i made them for a holiday party last year nice maybe i made them at some point for some sort of party
0: I don't know what party we were heading to last year or you were heading to. I know we weren't it was going probably to a together. work
1: party. Yeah. <laughs> I know it was Ugh. a work party. You
0: don't really go to holiday parties. Not going to anyone yeah. this year,
1: too. <laughs> um. We
0: went to one yesterday, or you know, we went to one a couple weeks ago as this episode's being posted in January. <laughs> we went to one yesterday and felt anxious the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely worth it. <laughs> yep. Anyway, cool, good stuff. All right, how how are your floors? How's your uh, housekeeping? They're
1: full of cardigans, but otherwise, pretty, (laughs) pretty clean. Pretty clean.
0: Yeah, same. Full of candles. Similar floors. Full of candles. Um, yeah, full of Legos.
1: Nice, but like, watch out. We're really into Legos.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, Um, I did find. So my husband put together like this, this like, really cool set that had like bushels of apples in it Aww. so we had like a little bucket of apples and I just keep finding apples on the floor <laughs> and like little apples but I'm not stepping on them that's so good. It's nice that's good try- I try to watch where I walk most okay. times
1: that's hu- but, I mean I think that's a good thing for the world you know
0: I agree <laughs> yeah yeah I-, I I like to talk in metaphor and <laughs> realistically at all times. All right, cool. I am done.
1: Okay, cool. Me too. I'm going to go put on another cardigan and uh, stay tuned after the
2: break for our lesson for today.
1: I think i should just like wear maybe i'll like for the next 20 days wear a cardigan every day and take a picture
0: <gasps> 30 days of cardigans yeah well i mean i gotta get more cardigans but
1: yeah i mean you could like layer
0: enough. a couple of them or wear like a, a waist belt <laughs> i mean i could just yeah, like make have a of
1: some of the cardigans i've made you know
0: like i made it could make one out of the graduation gown
1: yeah Ooh. It's a nice idea because I, I just like shoved it behind my my uh, wedding dress yesterday when I was putting things away oh, like why am I keeping this
0: That's yes, <laughs> the only use it. for my <laughs> my, my like, overnight $200. luggage bag. <laughs> god all right I think we should keep all of this in by the way all right okay <laughs> and now it's time for our lesson a <laughs> lesson is compiled facts describing history and or current events good and bad in order to give context for the field our interviewee works in Today's source includes only one source for today: an it? article entitled <laughs> Jehovah's, I don't know why I pause. Yeah. An article <laughs> entitled "Jehovah's Witness" by J. Gordon Melton. Oh, no goodness. trigger warning today, as far as I can see. We will be we will be beginning with the history of Jehovah's Witness. In the 1830s, the Adventist movement emerged following the predictions of William Miller, who proclaimed that Jesus Christ would return in 1843 or 1844. When Christ did not return, as Miller prophesied, Adventists divided into a number of factions. During the 1870s, Charles Taze Russell established himself as an independent and controversial Adventist teacher. He rejected belief in hell, sounds nice, as an independent and controversial Adventist teacher. He rejected, oh,
1: sorry, I just went, Mm -hmm. I
0: went to the same line. He rejected Mm -hmm. a belief in hell, still sounds good, (laughs) as a place of eternal torment and adopted a non-Trinitarian theology that denied the divinity of Jesus. He also interpreted the second coming in accordance with the literal translation of the original Greek term, Perugia. Or presence, suggesting that Christ would come as an invisible presence and that Perugia or millennial dawn already had occurred in 1874. Mm. So saying that Jesus was already here and that the reason we don't know about it is because we cannot see him.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Is how I interpreted that sentence, unless I'm really missing, really oh missing God, the boat. I think uh, okay, all right. Thank you. Thumbs up, awesome. All right, the coming of Christ's invisible presence. So Invisible Jesus uh, signaled the end of the current order of society and would be followed by his visible presence and the establishment of the millennial kingdom on earth in 1914. Although the kingdom did not come, Russell's teachings motivated a number of volunteers to circulate his many books and pamphlets and a periodical called The Watchtower, which we will be <laughs> talking about way more, and to um, and to recalculate the time of the perusia, which is the presence. In addition to the International Bible Studies Association, Russell formed the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society of Pennsylvania, AO, 1884, with himself as president. In 1909, he transferred the headquarters of the movement to Brooklyn. That's Russell- how it goes.
1: Oh, sorry. <laughs> Russell was succeeded as president in 1917 by Joseph Franklin Rutherford, who lived from 1869 to 1942, who changed the group's name to Jehovah's Witnesses in 1931 to emphasize its members' belief that Jehovah, or Yahweh, is the true God and that the Witnesses were his specially chosen followers. Rutherford molded the Witnesses into a cadre of dedicated evangelists, even equipping members with portable phonographs to play his sermonettes on street corners and in the living rooms of prospective converts. That sounds
0: kind of sweet. (laughs) I know that it's not just because it's an old-timey technology. (laughs) It's not sweet. I'm sorry. Keep going.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Under Rutherford's leadership, (laughs) Russell's group became a tightly knit organization. Rutherford's successor, Nathan Homer Knorr, who lived from 1905 to 1977, assumed the presidency in 1942 and continued and expanded Rutherford's policies. He established the Watchtower Bible School of Gilead, which was in South Lansing, New York, to train missionaries and leaders. He decreed that all society's books and articles will be to publish were or or to be published anonymous, anonymously and set up adult lay education programs to train witnesses to teach prospective converts. Under Noor's direction, a group of witnesses produced a new translation of the Bible. In 2000, leader Milton G. Henschel stepped down in a reorganization of the leadership and was replaced by Don A. Adams. The movement's headquarters were transferred to Warwick, New York in 2016. Now to talk about some of the beliefs. Witnesses hold a number of traditional Christian values, as well as many that are unique to them. They affirm that God, Jehovah, is the Most High. Jesus Christ is God's agent through whom sinful humans can be reconciled to God. The Holy Spirit is the name of God's active force in the world. Witnesses believe that they are living in the last days and they look forward to the imminent establishment of God's kingdom on earth, which will be headed by Christ and jointly administered by 144,000 human corollers, which is from Revelation book 7 verse 4. Those who acknowledge Jehovah in his life will become members of the millennial kingdom. Those who reject him will not go to hell, but face total extinction.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's yeah. an amalgamation of a, of a lot of beliefs and lack of beliefs, right? I, mm-hmm. Joanne, I'm also thinking about Donald Glover's character in Community, mm-hmm. uh, Troy Barnes, who is who I think gradually becomes an ex-Jehovah's Witness by the end of the show, but an uh, interesting representation. Yeah. Maybe not a kind one, but yeah. Also correct. New members are baptized by immersion and are expected to live by a strict code of personal conduct. Marriage is considered a holy covenant and divorce is disapproved of except in cases of idolatry. So there's a lot of things missing there. Adultery? Yes, not the worship of false idols (laughs) in cases of (laughs) adultery. (laughs) No golden calves for you. But yeah, I, adultery is one thing, one understandable reason for a divorce, but there are a whole slew of other uh, acceptable reasons is the one thing I noticed when putting this together. Witnesses participate in an annual commemoration of Christ's death celebrated on 14 Nisan of the Jewish calendar, which is March or April of the Gregorian calendar or our calendar that we use in mainstream calendar usage. Witnesses pass about bread and wine, symbols of the body and blood of Christ. Only those thought to be among the 144,000 corollars eat and drink the bread and wine. So we'll get clarification on this later, but I'm hearing and seeing that there are, much like other representations of Christianity, there's like a few people in a group that everyone agrees, okay, y'all are the good ones. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The Witnesses' teachings stress strict separation from secular government. Although they are generally law-abiding, believing that governments are established by God to maintain peace and order, they refuse on biblical grounds to observe certain laws. They do not, they do not salute the flag of any nation, believing in an act of false worship. I, I gotta go with them on that one. Yeah. They refuse to perform military service. They do not participate in public elections. These practices have brought them under the scrutiny of government authorities, obviously. The U.S. government sent Rutherford and other watchtower leaders to prison for sedition during World War I. In Germany, prior to World War II, the Nazis sent witnesses to concentration camps. And witnesses were also persecuted in Britain, Canada, and the United States. After the war, the witnesses brought several suits in American courts dealing with their beliefs and practices, resulting in 59 Supreme Court rulings that were regarded as major judgments on the free exercise. They continue to face persecution in several countries, however, particularly for their refusal to serve in the military. And they are often publicly derided for their door-to-door even evangelism. What a country to be anti-military in. Yeah. Yeah. Jinkies.
1: The witnesses' distrust of contemporary institution extends to other religious denominations from which they remain separate. They disavow terms such as minister and church. Their leaders of some mainstream Christian churches have denounced the witnesses for doctrinal de- deviation and have condemned them as a, quote, cult. Witnesses also oppose certain medical practices that they believe violate scripture. In particular, they oppose blood transfusions because of the scriptural Admonition Against the Consumption of Blood, from Leviticus, Book 3, Verse 17. This belief, which is contrary to standard medical practice, remains an additional point of controversy with authorities, especially in cases concerning children. In the early years of the movement, members rent, met in rented halls, but under Rutherford, the witnesses began to purchase facilities that they designated Kingdom Halls. Members of local congregations, known as publishers, meet at Kingdom Halls and engage in doorstep preaching. Pioneers hold part-time secular jobs and devote a greater amount of time to religious service. Special pioneers are full-time salaried employees of the society. Each congregation has an assigned territory and each witness a particular neighborhood to canvas. Great pains are taken to keep records of the number of visits, return calls, Bible classes, and books and magazines distributed. The Watchtower Society publishes millions of books, tracks, recordings, and periodicals in more than 700 languages. Its chief publications are a semi-monthly magazine, The Watchtower, and its companion magazine, Awake, with a, uh, it's got an um, exclamation point after it. That's what. Awake! Like, yeah. Work is carried out throughout the world uh, by more than 8 million witnesses.
0: Joanna, I don't know about you, but I did have a lot of uh, Jehovah's Witnesses canvassing in my town growing up, and I, we had two churches in our tiny town, and they were not received well. But also I remember my church handing out VHS copies of the the story of Jesus's life. And I remember feeling very good about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I I feeling oh well that, this is what I, everybody needs.
1: But I've worked with a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses as a as a counselor.
0: Yeah. It's so, just it's just how I mean I mean christianity definitely has a very privileged stance in our country i mean jehovah's witness has so much similarities to christianity and it's um yeah can't wait to talk about this yeah Alrighty. stay tuned <laughs> All right, Julia Shetke is a licensed mental health counselor associate, as well as a licensed social worker associate independent clinician based out of Vancouver, Washington. She is a trained trained psychedelic assisted therapist, as well as a certified trauma specialist. She, She specializes in working with trauma generally, and more specifically, spiritual trauma. She has extensive experience working with spiritual trauma in many contexts, both in and out of the counseling room. Julia came from a religious group that was abusive as well, which helps to inform her work. She works from the place that there is a difference between counseling in between all are welcome here and this was created with you in mind. That's that's great. When she is not working, you can find her with her family, which now includes a nine-week-old puppy named Wilson. Oh welcome, goodness. Julia.
2: Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course.
0: Absolutely. And I think we're very excited also to have another West Coast, West Coast representation. Yeah. On
2: our yeah, I love being over here on the West Coast. It's snowed today. Okay. Wow. What? Yeah. It's crazy over here. It's That's cool. exciting. Yeah. It, yeah, like it did not snow here yet.
1: Days ago. So it's freezing. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Julia, tell us a little bit about the work
2: that you do. So um, I do a lot of different things, but my main focus is on trauma. And um, specifically, I like working with spiritual trauma. Um, So I see a lot of clients, I'd say the majority of my clients have a lot of religious trauma. Um, They come anywhere from coming from cults, um, all the way through spiritual groups, such as even mainstream um, churches. And then some of them even come from spiritual groups that they've attended, like yoga studios that have been um, invasive and have hurt them as well. So anywhere along that spectrum, um, and especially, too, I'd like to hit on the fact that um, several of my clients have had um, improper care as LGBTQ people Mm -hmm. as well
0: that is such incredibly important work i've been i've been getting into spiritual trauma treatment myself could you for the listener just kind of differentiate exactly what i mean as far as we know about trauma you know in in our established knowledge as a culture what differentiates spiritual trauma because most people may think of church and religious groups and other things like that as community based and helpful
2: yeah so When I think of spiritual trauma, I think of abuse of power, a lack of autonomy, and a a lack of being able to ask questions. Those are really big parts of spiritual abuse. When we're looking at where love and fear come from the same people, that's where spiritual abuse comes from.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. As a, as an extra Christian myself, it is glad that this word is getting out.
2: Yeah. Um, And we're talking about two people who, um, are coming from a place where they have been in a group and they have been fed with their soul for so long that they may not have realized that their group has become toxic. And people don't come into groups and realize that that group is toxic. They have come in, they have been fed, they, they have enjoyed the people that they're around. And then slowly they get to the point where that group is no longer healthy for them. So I think that's a really big thing to touch on is that people have this view of, groups that are not healthy. And they wonder, well, why are you in this group? Well, people don't understand that people don't just join a cult. They just don't join a spiritually abusive group. They start somewhere really small and potentially healthy. They start a front group, like um, even just like a, a homeless shelter, helping at a homeless shelter or as a bell ringer or something really small. And then they get more and more and more involved and then it becomes unhealthy. So like touching on that point because it's really important that people understand because I hear that a lot, like why do people join cults? Well, they don't. They join here on this end of the spectrum and then they get sucked in.
0: It's so important to include that and include the process of love bombing also. Love bombing, exactly. And we don't we don't extend that empathy and understanding. The same to people in abusive partnerships. You know, people did not mm-hmm. enter, like you said, into something purposefully harmful.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it just evolved. Really, yeah, Sarah, that's a really good point. And I think that's a really good parallel to draw is domestic violence and spiritual violence and how easy it is to draw that parallel. Absolutely, that's such a great and astute comment is that those can parallel very well. And I can
1: imagine that, you know, like sometimes groups cater to people who need that, just that little bit of of like a family or that little bit of a community to be in. And like, you know, True groups who are like truly toxic are trying to get people in little by little. They're not asking you to buy in right away.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really good point to bring up is people tend to join groups during life transitions when they need extra support, when they've moved from one place to another, when they need extra friends, when they're marginalized or vulnerable. These are the people that end up joining a group. And that group tends to be a place that's extra supportive for these people. And that's how it starts.
0: There's something so innocuous about just moving to a new town and restarting and joining a community. And then you hear these reports of groups like Scientology and other like very influential insidious groups showing up to natural disaster sites and just like recruiting people that are in despair and in this horrible state of their life. And like you said, Julia, this just seeking out vulnerability, like Joanna said.
2: Yeah, absolutely. 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 And you see a lot of these groups going on college campuses as well. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when people are moving in, they're helping people move in, which is so lovely and kind. And then they start to kind of make friendships and groups and things like that to just kind of bond with people. And then it starts from there. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. What a vulnerable population. Going to college for the first time.
0: Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. All right. Um, hmm. I don't. I don't want to ask that pandemic question yet, (laughs) because I like where we're going with this. Julia, do you mind talking a little bit about your own experience in a religious group and how it brought you to this? Is that all right?
2: Totally. Yeah, I'm very open about it. So I came from my own kind of religious trauma. Um, I was a part of a group from about 12 until maybe 1920, um, it was part of a Pentecostal non-denominational group. Um, part of what made that group abusive for me was a couple of things. Um, one, I did not feel like I could ask questions, and when I did ask questions, I was often rebuffed by the people in power, which were always white males. Um, Women were not allowed to have positions of power within the group, which is very common among religious groups um, that women are not allowed to either speak up in some or even speak at all in some groups. Um, But certainly in when we look in Christian groups, a lot of them are not allowed to have positions of power at all. Um, Part of my group was that you were not allowed to have basically salvation unless you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, which was um, you had to be able to speak in tongues, which was a heavenly language that you needed to be able to speak in. And there was a high pressure situation to be able to do this. So that was part of it for me as well. Um, There was also a lot of situations where it felt like I was under a lot of pressure to destroy my worldly goods. So I remember a specific situation where I had an X files CD, the music that I really liked from their movie, which, yeah, right. Um, that dates me right there. Um, but I remember the situation where I had this and my, my, uh, Christian friends I'm doing air quotes, um, wanted me to destroy it because it was worldly air quotes again. And, um, I just, I felt so torn because I was like, I really like this music and I'm supposed to be not of the world. And so I ended up destroying it. And I missed from 12 to 19 or so. I missed all kinds of popular culture things. I didn't listen to music very much. I didn't watch any of these popular movies. Um, my husband is slowly, uh, introducing me to things that I completely missed. Um, so I'm like regaining my childhood <laughs> <laughs> at, at 40, you know, and um, so I'm being introduced to things like E.T. and The Goonies and mm-hmm. all of these movies that I didn't see. So it was just a lot of things that I missed. Um, but also. People were really aggressive with their spirituality, so they would come and circle me with laying on hands and which was putting their hands on me and praying for me for my spirits of whatever it was you know darkness or worldliness and they would just be very aggressive and eventually it was just too much where I was put in a corner literally and had people praying for me and like yelling prayers at me. And I finally was like, nope, I'm gonna nope on out of here. And then I was told that if I did, the devil would win. And I literally said, okay, well, I guess the devil's gonna win here. And I left. And so I left and I just had too much. It was just too much for me. I couldn't handle it anymore. So I noped on out and that was my last straw. Um, But it took so many last straws for me to leave. I mean, it literally took me, you know, eight years for me to leave. Um, But when I was underage, there was nothing I could do because my parents were there. So, yeah, that was my story and kind of what ended up happening with me. And thank you.
0: Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Just the idea of, of the shame that women, and I'm, I'm, I'm binarying here with men and women. Um, and I want well, to know that's what that. they do. Right. That's what
0: the, they rely very heavily on the, yeah. the two yeah. gendered yeah.
2: experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to give a nod to the, to the binary mm-hmm. of this, that purity culture, the harm, that purity culture has on females in the church and what it does to people um, is so harmful. And I could go off into a whole different land there. But that's a big part of it as well. Yeah.
0: Thank yeah. you so much for sharing all of that. And I, as you're talking, I'm just remembering all of these. I mean, yeah. I broke my, I remember I broke my Natalie and Bruglia CD. If you remember, yeah. <laughs> you remember that single hit, Torn. I loved that album, but I broke it
2: mm-hmm. after,
0: after camp one year. And I, 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 there was a lot of things that I just cut myself off from I, because you know what is, I, so I have two more things to say and then I'll, <laughs> then I'll then let I us rail back just- on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so when you're talking about that binary of the gendered experience too, Julia, it's really this like prominent display of like the success of white feminism and why it exists like capital what capital w white feminism which Mm -hmm. is like i'm okay to sit in this second tier seat because you're still going to protect me you know but if i do speak out and up for myself then i risk losing my spot i risk losing the quote i'm also air quoting i risk losing that safety of the protection of like the white man in this situation um also, it's shocking to me that this was in a Pentecostal church because we we normalize Protestant religions so much. And we keep thinking that all this horrible trauma is happening in these big, very fundamentalist evangelical churches. But no, I mean, I grew up Methodist. <laughs> these are happening in churches that are just down the block from you every day. It is so important for us to all to be aware of that. I, oh, honestly, wild.
2: oh, go ahead. So yeah, I was thinking about too, just really quick, sorry, Joanna. Oh, I go ahead. That you brought up a good point is that um, there's this tier, right, of God first, others second, myself third. And there was that framework. And then with women, there's also once you get married there it and have children, it becomes God first. Men, second kids, third women, fourth, and it just becomes this stratosphere of you're last as women, mm-hmm. and it's just fundamentally messed up that you cannot think of yourself ever. And then you go into um, like marital relations is a whole other hot mess, too and it it just becomes so hard to be a female in church or in a religious organization
0: it, it's frightening it's frightening how polished it is and how mm-hmm. it, it it is so it is so intertwined in our like mainstream american culture too it's just shocking this this danger this insidiousness it's it's shocking
1: yeah i mean i was going to say yeah. i grew up episcopalian which you know And I was, um, I I went on a retreat once where they blacked out the windows and took all the clocks down. So we didn't have any idea what time it was for a whole weekend, which like, not good, (laughs) not good. And I also remember speaking back to purity, going to the ring thing. Um
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's so if you don't wait know I think one of us should yeah c- should we talk a little bit about what that is and like purity culture is. in general so go please. for it Julie
2: <laughs> oh purity culture yes okay so um I remember the ring thing too so basically the idea that you are supposed to remain and you being the woman mm-hmm. by the way that the daughter you were, especially yeah, the daughter is Oof. supposed to remain sexually pure until your wedding night so often this ritual would be between the father and the daughter where they would give you a purity ring to wear until your wedding and they would also have these dramatic um demonstrations of what purity lack thereof would look like and it would look like passing around a rose and everyone touching it and then look how gross it is at the end this is what you would be like if you gave yourself or you know if a ripped paper and every time that you rip it there's only this much left to give back to your partner Or a chewed piece of gum. And if you kept passing it around, you really wouldn't want to chew that gum. But this is not taught to the boys. No, It is taught to the women. And then women are taught that they need to cover up to protect the boys. And if you think about it, the boys and the men should be angry that they are being assumed that their resting state is a sexual predator when you think about it.
0: Instead, we are just enabling them to think that they are not in control at all of their of their thoughts we ever, so i did go to sleep away camp you're being you know saved again yeah. and every year so i'm talking 17 and under like to fifth grade i'm talking like young girls and also sticking with the binary come in and get a speech from the female counselors and then the male counselors as well who were 18 year olds 18 year old teenage boys coming in to let us know that we needed to not wear, you know, two piece bathing suits to wear, not show our midriff, not to wear shorts that were too short. All like, okay, you know, everybody has been, everybody that's been a, everyone who was assigned female at birth has experienced what it's like to walk down a street and have attention on you. But this was suggesting you need to protect your brothers in Christ. You need to spare them the anguish of having to have impure thoughts. I keep laughing, I obviously like infuriated, but it is so normal. This idea is held by, this idea is held by so many people, educated, uneducated from different backgrounds and it is normal to them.
1: And just the, the you know, examples of like you're a thing. You're a piece of paper, you're gum, you're this rose, like yeah. that you that you need to be kept. You know, like you're just an object for later on.
0: Yeah. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> uh. Yeah. I so Julia, what's it like having folks that are coming from these religious backgrounds? with their preconceived notions of what their gender role was? How was it like untangling that with them?
2: Yeah, that's a hard question. So sure. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much there. Um, when, here's what's interesting. The clients that I end up seeing end up being the ones that are questioning their own gender fluidity. They're, they are spending a lot of time going, I don't think I fit in the gender binary. And what I have been taught of, I fit here in the male box or I fit here in the female box. These boxes don't work for me. And also, the church has told me I have to fit in a box or I go to hell. So it's not even like, I mean, the purity culture fits in there. It's just another awful thing to unpack. But the bigger picture is wait, I don't belong, I don't fit. So are they able to ascend to the level where they were like, if they still believe, are they able to able to go to heaven where they are in their beliefs? Or are they even questioning fundamentally, do I even believe in this framework? And if they do believe in that framework, you know, do how does their gender fluidity fit? And then if they don't have those beliefs anymore, they have to unpack all of a transcendental, transcendent experience within the church. And then what do they do with that? How does that fit? And then if so, where does their kind of perception of gender roles fit into that still? You know, if they're if their church has told them they have to have a a certain gender role or any of these things the church has told them their beliefs and what they have experienced does that line up with all the things that they have now are starting to question so it's like does a equal b does that make sense It it does.
0: It sounds like it's a one-way ticket to depersonalization. Like, unfortunately, to go through this, they have to unlearn an absolute truth, which has been the only thing keeping them tethered to sanity within this wildly, wildly chaotic Mm -hmm. culture and environment. And then all of a sudden, you're they're being told that that's, you know, been the been the source of all your pain and strife. So here's here's some more questions for you to ask yourself, but now you're going to get support, but is support threatening?
2: Yeah. Especially if they have experienced, if they've come out, like if we're talking about LGBTQ people, if they've Mm -hmm. come out within the church at all, or started to question that and the church knows about it, the violence that they may have experienced spiritually because of it, And then they're coming out to let's say me, they may experience some serious and issues with me. Is there worry? What am I gonna say? What am I gonna do? Mm -hmm. And just those experiences that may are trying to unpack spiritually and emotionally with someone else that they're worried that they're going to be judged or hurt those are really big things for people to unpack and process through
0: yeah 100% I now about how there was a long period of time in my 20s where I did not trust any like older adults because when I was still coming to Christianity in my late teens, early 20s, people that just looked at me and was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, that's horrible. That's not true. You know, you're not this kind of person. You're not bad because you want to do this. I would be immediately mistrusting of them. And it led to me being mistrusting of a lot of people that tried to offer support during that time. Yeah.
2: Yeah. When you have people who have been the source of truth. Truth, air quotes. For example, when you have youth leaders or adult leaders who have been the voice of God for you, then if you are leaving the church and you no longer trust those voices, who will you trust?
0: We can. can we trust. could have we could have three episodes talking about the youth pastor exchange with <laughs> <laughs>
1: right? I almost I almost went to college to be a youth pastor.
0: Yeah, I, I thought about that. it very briefly too. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think everybody does. Yeah. It's either that or a church musician. That's what I think I was to gonna us. double major
1: in music and youth pastorism. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Yeah. So for people listening, that is that is somebody who does study theology and can can teach it as well but has the framework to teach it to to kids and like mainly adolescents and there is often nonsense that happens um
1: and I will say like I love my youth yeah. group time I mean I was in youth group from like grade six until college it was great for the most part mm-hmm. except for those times where they like blacked out the windows <laughs> Uh, <laughs> they, when we went to the ring thing, but like it's 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 interesting because it can be covered up with so much mainstream okayness that like I I understand like someone coming to therapy with this like there's a lot of I mean maybe guilt or like shame is like why do why am I not okay with this because like I did have a good time or like I did feel supported and that's yeah. like what's hard. For I can imagine from recovering from this is because, you know, th- th- there's so many layers. Yeah,
2: and I think too when you're talking about youth group, especially, you have a lot of latchkey kids that are going there because there's a place a safe, safe airplate air quotes place to go after school, where a lot of parents are like, "Cool, let's." Bring them to church because that's a safe place to go. And um, so you have a lot of vulnerable and marginalized kids that are going to church after school. And you have a leader that ends up being kind of a surrogate parent for a lot of these kids. And I was just, I just had this memory of while you were talking, Ren, about one of my church camp experiences where we were there and we were staying up late to do worship god and this leaders found out about it and they said no god wouldn't have shown up that night even though we felt like he was there because it was past curfew yeah but so- there's
0: a word for controlling and policing somebody's beliefs so that you can be present at all times for it. and it's fascism <laughs>
2: that's about right
1: (laughs) so Julia what led you into counseling um or being a therapist for people who are experiencing spiritual trauma
2: so I had an amazing therapist so that's kind of how I got started um I well no that's not true that was like the medium part I was a doula for Oh. um about five years ago women um no nope. I was working with birthing individuals as they were walking through their journey from to parenthood and um, I asked clients and often I was experiencing with them birth trauma. And so I became a bereavement doula. So someone who was working with people who were expecting fetal demise or significant Mm. birth defects. And as a result, I realized that um, I really enjoyed that work, that trauma was something that I was good at and that it was kind of a calling for me. And so I went to school to work with trauma specifically And when I found out that I could marry my spiritual experience with trauma, that's kind of where it all collided together. And that's something that I could really work with. And there was such a need in our area. We're in um, Vancouver and Portland where it's really saturated here with a lot of churches a lot of spiritual groups they're just people aren't to and then since then it's just kind of exploded here where it's just something that's really a needed needed service
0: what are people's reactions when they find you? I mean, if you have if you do consultations, you know, how do people sound when you explain like this is what I do and that's you're just hitting the nail on the head for them? How do they respond to that?
2: I think the big thing that is important for people is that they find someone that speaks their language. They don't have to teach someone what they've been through. So often I kind of relate it to when you go to France and then you come back, you learn French and then you come back and you want to tell someone about their experience. They want to tell you about their experience, but they only know French. Well, it would be really hard to tell someone about their experience in France and have to teach them French. So it's like that I speak French, so they don't have to teach me what is speaking in tongues, what is laying your hands on people, what is an, you know, what is an exorcism, for example, like I know what that looks like, I know, so they don't have to teach me their language at the same time as they're unpacking their experience, and that is a vital component for them. They don't have to teach me that language. I'm already on their page and they can just start. That's
0: a great answer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just so happy and grateful for the folks that get to encounter you and don't, and I probably get so much, so much wide eyed responses from people if they ever would share. So the fact that you can just kind of meet, I mean. Meeting them where you're at is just the kindest thing you can do for a person. But the fact that you do that, there's no opportunity for you to have that shock and awe. Like you're just walking in like, yeah, I know. It's, it's terrible. Yeah. It's, it's so kind.
2: I I love the work I do. And... I am thankful to offer the container for them to be able to come in and say, this is what I've been through. And I can be able to go, yeah,
0: I see you incredible boom in therapists all across the country, all across the United States that are working with spiritual trauma. So if you need it, please, please seek it out. It's it's there for you. Um, so as far as it goes, I mean, we know that. Uh, your religion and what your ex-religion can have so much to do with your culture, right? And just your identity makeup, but how do your other aspects of your identity help or hinder the work that
2: you do? Yeah, so I am a bi white girl, female. Um, I feel that it, helps and hinders me in a couple ways um, one being white I can't speak to the lived experience of people of color and um, so that's an area that I don't have experience in and I certainly can't speak to that within the church and I can't imagine what that would be like um, especially like to speak to the fact that of the time, we're looking at a white Jesus and not what Jesus looked like. Mm -hmm. Um, Jesus came from the Middle East, if that's where Jesus was. So, um, and I also understand very clearly the female experience of what it's like to be um, very marginalized within the church and what that's like. Um, I think that also as a female, I I can understand too from the male point of view, weirdly enough, so I can understand the kind of dynamic of what that must be like. Um, I can't understand what it's like to be the male, but I can understand what that power dynamic was like. So I do have, quite a few males that are on my caseload um which is very interesting and that dynamic is um reparative which is really a really interesting dynamic and um very healing for the men on my caseload
0: Joanna where do you want to go next
2: I was gonna say um
1: are there any resources that you have found that help with your practice that you think our listeners um, would benefit from?
2: Yes, I do. I do have some resources. Um, So the Reclamation Collective is one resource. Um, They are amazing over there. They're doing great work. Um, They have trainings, they have support groups. They are great. They're just a great group. The Life After podcast is fantastic if you're looking for a podcast. Um, And then also there's amazing um, Instagrams that are out there as well. If you look for um, hashtags for like ex-Christian or XJW, those sorts of things, there's a lot of support out there. Um, What I like about Instagram particularly is that you can go find resources and you can do it anonymously, which is a really big part for people who are deconstructing, which is um, starting to break down their faith or looking into different parts of, um, they're starting to question their faith, um, but they can do it anonymously, especially through Instagram. um, So they don't have to follow people. So they can do it quietly, which is a lot of really big part of starting to pull apart those threads, um, but they may not want their families to know it. So that's where I generally try to have a lot of clients start to go and look at different um, posts and different pieces of advice. Um, so those are my big three that I have people go to. What was the name of the podcast again? Life after life after
0: Mm-hmm. Life after, okay. Oh yeah, like that. Okay, yeah. thank you so much. We are going to put those on our website. Yeah, for sure, for folks thank to you. take a look at. Yeah, yeah. great. Do you have any questions for us? Although we spoke a lot about our own experiences. <laughs> <during this. laughs> um, let's see.
2: Oh, I wanted to add that when you guys talked about the various times that there were um prophecies about the world ending there are several others there's six of them oh so there's 1878 1881 1914 1918 1925 and 1975.
0: So all all the same line of folks were predicting this or was this the Adventists splitting off in different groups? There were a bunch
2: of them. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. And then um, you were asking about the 144,000. And so I was going to tell you a little bit about that was that um, there's a limited group of people that will, after death, go to heaven, have time to act properly up there. And then they will become heavenly rulers and restore mankind to God's standards. So that's okay, what's so when the they 144s. Yeah.
0: When they become rulers, do they then make room for more witnesses to go into heaven?
2: Yeah, I think what, okay. what happened, this is a bit dodgy for me because I've, I've been trying to, to, to work this out. What, what I'm hearing, and again, I'm really excited to hear feedback on this is that they will restore the people that are on earth to God's standards. And then it seems like those people can still go to heaven. Okay. That are here, but I would love to be corrected. Please correct me.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Thank you, thank you for adding that. I, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you lay it all out, I mean, any any religion that you look at, when you lay it all out, its history and how its ideologies came to be, it all seems uh, sus. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> sus about a lot. of it. <laughs> Hope I use that right. I would also be love to be did. corrected by Maybe our you younger listeners. Sus, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's a really a great, great
2: book called um, Love, Terror, and Brainwashing.
0: Ooh.
2: And um, really? that one is a really good book for people who are um, really wanting to get into kind of a textbooky kind of book about um, spiritual trauma and um, like the really nitty gritty. And then if you really want some like really nice, pretty, light reading that makes you feel good. Sacred Wounds is another really great book to be okay. like. Hey, you're and not. And that's alone. not
0: facetious. It definitely is. It definitely is very nice. Okay. Yes, good. <laughs> it
2: is very nice, and will make you feel good. And is oh. like a hey, you're not alone. Here's how you can find your self care and support. It's a really great book.
1: It's clearly oh, we're amazing. both very Thank interested you. in this and have like personal um, experience. What? <laughs>
0: What? yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank julia thank you so so much
1: all right, Beautiful. All right. are we thank ready for so, our, our last, so much ask our last question you, <gasps> we can't get our two off question. the rails yeah dun, dun. we might have asked this before on another podcast but i just like it a lot so when i ask it okay. again pizza and
2: cake or tacos and pie oh shoot oh <laughs> um pizza <laughs> and cake as long as it's not chocolate cakes
1: I don't eat chocolate okay yeah we can take out chocolate
2: cake um I recently
0: discovered pecan pie so I'll change my answer to tacos and pie <laughs> this is hard because I can is do a hard like... question yeah and I, and also I think last time we asked this I was like I don't just want ground meat all the time but I can do like do a oh chicken taco I can do tacos. a taco oh my gosh Hell yeah, mm. yeah what about I, you, Joanna?
1: I I Pretty sure I probably said pizza and cake last time because I love pizza. But I think I'm going to go with tacos and pie this time just because, like, pie offers so much different stuff.
0: Mm. So much. And tacos as well. Um, and quiche, right? That's a pie. Sure. Oh, it is. I don't love quiche. I don't, I don't know why I responded like I that. Like, I needed to have it.
1: <gasps> quiche. <laughs> Goodness. Finally.
0: <laughs> All right. Let me start my dramatic goodbye again julia we were so happy to have you thank you so much for coming on the show for joining us at our east coast time and um it was such a pleasure and we look forward to chatting in the future thank you thank you of course All right. Thank you for listening to the show. Be sure to subscribe slash, rate slash review us on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple podcasts. You can check us out on Instagram at TNDpod or Twitter at therapistndpod, all one word, or visit our website, tndpodcast.com.
1: We've got a Patreon. Uh, it's patreon.com slash TNDpodcast. Check it out. We got some cool stuff. Also, if you would love to send us an email or you would love to be a guest on the show, you can email us at therapistsnextdoor at gmail.com. That's therapist, plural, door at gmail.com. I'm pretty sure that's right. I'm going off the top of my head right now. I'm not looking at the script, so
0: you got it I'm pretty got sure.
1: It. Yep. Sarah, do you have anything to plug?
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm going to double plug the Patreon. uh, Visit us to offer us support so we can keep bringing you amazing content like what we had today. You can visit my Instagram at teletherapist underscore. I know I don't need to say it, but I am. Also, it's not teletherapist, it's teletherapy (laughs) with Sarah. (laughs) And visit my website teletherapywithsarah.com. Read my blog. It's for professional and working class millennials posting every other week. In January, there will be four blog posts. That's one per week.
1: Look out in January. If you are
0: either a professional millennial, a working class millennial, or a professional millennial from a working class background, there is going to be information for you. Or if you're just interested. (sighs) Check it out. Yeah.
1: I'm not going to be writing for blog posts, but um, you can (laughs) check out my uh, website. It's orientatherapy.com. There are some blog posts there, you know, from a while ago. Yeah um and yeah i'm also going to double plug the patreon i need some new cardigans i guess um because i need to replace the three that i got rid of uh and with your
0: patreon support yeah we can make that happen
1: yeah maybe i'll maybe i'll release pictures of all of them uh who knows maybe i'll make more uh anyway
0: neither of us mentioned that we are in pennsylvania (laughs) so if you if you need therapy in pennsylvania oh yeah yeah
1: yeah Pennsylvania,
0: yep. please reach out to us. PA. Until next time, we are we your, are your therapists. therapists. No next, next
1: door. door. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Bye. Bye.